When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, all you boys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to Essence of Azeroth today. Well, who am I? My name is Billy, and that starts with a B, just like some other words we know. Like Bilgefin, or Bloodsail Buccaneers. And maybe you don't know what those are. After all, there's a lot of lore in the big, wide world of Warcraft, and there's so much to learn. How about it? And be honest. How often when you load up your favorite character do you see a name, place, or person in Azeroth and think, well, gee, I don't know who that is. It happens to all of us. So it's good that you came into the essence of Azeroth house today. On this special episode, I hope you'll help me in exploring the names, places, and people of something we look at every time we play. The server names. I had a good friend ask me the other day what the name behind our server meant, and I bet he isn't alone in not knowing. After all, whether it's big or small, there's lore for one and all here on Essence of Azeroth. Today's episode of the show is made possible with contributions from listeners like you over on our Patreon page. Some of our special friends this week are Otto and Brooke, who both subscribed and are getting special perks like being able to vote on future episode content, a special role on our Discord server, access as a member to the Essence of Azeroth Guild on the US Asgalore server, and more to come. Sign up today and help us be the best podcast we can be over at patreon.com forward slash Essence of Azeroth. And now, on with the show. Like with most early Warcraft lore, it all starts with the trolls. Post-Black Empire, the Akir threat still loomed over the entirety of Azeroth and was a large enough problem that it managed to do the miraculous, unite the various troll tribes under one Zandalari-led banner. Now up to this point, the Amani, Drakari, and Gorobashi and Amani tribes were all too busy fighting one another over the same central landmass of Kalimdor to get on the same page. But with the looming threat of the Cathraxi menace being large enough for the Empire of Zul and the Zandalari Empire to all get everybody together, they managed to unite under one tribe and get on the same page. So they united and defeated the Akir threat and establishing the Troll Empire as the predominant force on the planet at the time. However, the Troll Empire was still largely centralized in that one area, so under the decree of Zul, who was the Lord God Emperor, and you may remember from Battle for Azeroth because he comes back, the various tribes were told to go out, claim new territory for the glorious regime, beat back what remained of the Akir, and thrive. 
And that brings us to the relocation of the Ice Troll, Drakari Empire, to Northrend, and the formation of Zoldrak. With its somewhat capital city and the gigantic temple of Gundrak, from which the name for the Gundrak server stems. But to talk about Gundrak, we also have to talk about how the ice trolls of the Drakari Empire are a bit different than their warmer weather counterparts. If the Troll Empire was in Game of Thrones, the Ice Trolls would be the Iron Isles of factions. They're not the smartest or the craftiest of troll tribes, but they make up for that in bloodthirstiness, savagery, and ultimately a willingness to do whatever it takes to survive. A thing that is ultimately the downfall of the Drakari in their entirety, as seen in Wrath of the Lich King. However, the Drakari Empire was almost the largest of the troll tribes, and perhaps the one that informs of troll culture the most, which is why so much, or so little, of what players know about the trolls back dating to Vanilla WoW was all beware the voodoo, baby eating, and whatnot. The Drakari were the most savage and basic of the troll tribes, revering strength and malice over all else. There's a great story from the uh, WoW tabletop playing lore book that uh, perhaps Zoldrak was the easiest to sneak into because while you wouldn't be able to invade it, they'd be so busy beating each other senseless and eating one another after a meal that you could probably just slip in unnoticed. And like the other tribes, the Drakari were strongly devoted to worship of the Loa and the idea that this worship to specific wild gods would provide for the Empire. So in many ways, despite how primal their worship was, you could also say that the Drakari were the most devoted to the Loa. It wasn't so much the two-way relationship that the other tribes have, or the blood worship you see somewhat with the Gorobashi and Hakar over in Stranglethorn and Zul'Grub. The devotion of the Drakari was strong and focused, powering them to great heights and even leading them to challenge all the other troll tribes at once. But as with most things on Azeroth, all of this changed immensely once the Sundering occurred. Now, we haven't talked almost at all about the Sundering here on this podcast, and for good reason. It's kind of a flashpoint for the history of Azeroth that requires a lot more time and thought dedicated to it than just mentioning it in passing. The Sundering was a singular event that changed the physical, spiritual, and evolutionary direction of this entire planet. But more so for the troll tribes, it physically separated them from one another and broke the Drakari off on their own, fully isolated by two oceans. And while the Drakari Empire would remain powerful post-Sundering, it would lead the trolls down a dark path of being one of the first casualties of the Scourge Menace and their next-door neighbors over in Icecrown. But it was also a desperation move that would eventually seal their fates. As the Scourge threat washed over Northrend, the Drakari were some of the first to fall, losing Drakthoron Keep in the process, which was not only a major temple for the Drakari, but also the barrier wall between Grizzly Hills and Zaldrak itself. Now turned into a tomb of undead trolls, the Drakari were forced to retreat from Zoldrak to their last great source of power, the Great Temple of Gundrak, which you might remember as being a uh, dungeon in Wrath of Lich King that was somewhat focused on the Loas and the various factions of those Loas all intermingling in one another, and at this point kind of fighting off the hordes. 
However, at that point, desperation kicks in, and the once pious and dedicated Drakari now have realized that blood was the only thing that would save them, specifically the blood of their once revered Loas. The Drakari prophets begin slaying their wild gods, using the blood to empower their soldiers and bolster their magic in ways not too far off from what ends up happening in Zul'Gurub. However, in a rare moment of the player character being coerced into doing something truly evil, a turncoat within the Drakari Empire named Drakuru maneuvers the adventurers of Azeroth to help in in eliminating the Loa, taking over the power of Drak Throne Keep and using the tainted power of the Loa's blood in Gundrak, all in the name of the Lich King. It's one of the things I loved about the Wrath expansion was this idea that for the adventurers to beat a true evil like the Lich King, the player was going to have to get their hands dirty. And your hands get no dirtier than needing to infiltrate Drakuru and his new connection to the Scourge than helping him essentially kill off the Drakari Empire. Like, that's kind of what is wild about the Zul'Drak questline of the entire zone. And if you've never done it before, I highly recommend you go there in Wrath of the Lich King Classic because... It's one through-line story about how you kind of have to destabilize this entire region just so Drakuru will believe that you're into his cause so that you can eventually kill him. Like, it's real Scorched Earth, and it's some of the best storytelling that they've done, and it's an interesting, cool zone. And something that doesn't get highlighted enough is that it actually showcases how advanced the Drakari were despite being considered the least advanced of the troll tribes. Like, they have an entire aqueduct and waterway system that you see in Zoldrak. Like, they, they had irrigation, they, they had civilized culture, and they were willing to burn it down because what else did they have to do? The Scourge were coming from all sides. There's a reason why nothing lives in Northrend, and they were some of the first ones to suffer. All that said, the dark legacy of the Trakari would continue on in one way, in that a revived Zul would use the similar killing of the Loas and Zandalar in the battle for Azeroth to empower their troops. Alas, the Ice Trolls are essentially no more, and so is the story of Gundrak. No demon of the Burning Legion is more iconic than that of the Pit Lords, or the Annihilan, as their species is referred to in lore books. Towering lizard-like monstrosities that wield their iconic glaive weapons, the Pit Lords are for all intent and purposes living siege engines. Originally born from the chaotic energies of the Dark and the Twisting Nether, it didn't take long for the Annihilan to take up arms for Archimonde and the Burning Legion serving as generals and commanders. Point in fact, you actually don't see very many pit lords ever get directly involved in battle, and for good reason. They're considered an asset too important to risk losing for the Legion, serving not only as walking destruction creators, but also as the thing that powers the armies of the Legion in a very literal sense. Their blood is extremely potent, powerful, and caustic, 
The Pit Lord Malaroth's blood was used as the thing that infected the orcs on Draenor into Legion subservience, and in a more obvious example, players literally watched the body of a former Blue Dragonflight leader be turned into a horrifying undead monstrosity at the Sunwell Raid, shortly after downing a Pit Lord boss that bleeds all over the arena and raises the dragon's corpse. It's safe to say that when a Pit Lord shows up, there's some serious stuff going down. And thus is the role of our next server topic name, Asgalore, the Legion general who helped the assault on Mount Hyjal in the distant past, and is also the server where the Essence of Azeroth Horde Guild is located, which you can join by signing up for a Patreon. I promise that's the last time I'll say that, I swear. <laughs> Asgalore is of note because he's considered to be one of the most bloodthirsty of all the Pit Lords, which I think is really saying something when we're talking about a species that seems to only exist to destroy... After all, the species genus name is literally the Annihilans. Like, let's think about that for a second. Asgalore was second in command behind Manoroth and took over when his former commander was killed by Gramash Hellscream, father of Garrosh and former warchief of the Horde. And so, Asgalore appears in the Burning Crusade raid of the Battle for Mount Hyjal as the first boss. And you'd think the story would end there, but as with most things that involve the Legion, it isn't so simple. You see, demons of the Burning Legion cannot actually be killed. Not for long, at least. Though their physical forms can die, their energies simply head back into the Twisting Nether and are reborn in a constant cycle, a thing that Illidan Stormrage realizes in his rebirth and why many think that the fight against the Legion is simply a foregone conclusion. Because of this, Asgalore has actually been reborn multiple times, and appeared again and again across expansions, including as a boss, once more, in Warlords of Draenor at Hellfire Citadel, and yet again in Legion at the Battle for Broken Shores. And if you're interested in more about this like rebirth, recycle thing that the Burning Legion uh, are apparently able to do, go and read the Illidan Storm Rage book, which is a like almost hour-for-hour hour reaccounting of... Illidan's time in Outland, uh, including a portion where they cast a spell in order for him to go into the Nathrazim's home city in order to infiltrate and steal an item. And that's where they talk about that the Burning Legion demons just go back to where they came from every time they're killed. So the armies, while being thinned out are never really truly gone, and that's what makes the Legion so hard to fight. Now, while the Legion seems to be gone currently and for now, if Asgalore's history is any indicator, then it cannot be long until the demon forces are back at it once again. Gee, if only some adventurers could go into the Twisting Nether and maybe put a stop to that whole cycle of resurrection thing once and for all. They should do that. Let's do that. It'll be fun. Keen-eyed fans will realize that Arch Magus Antonitis is prominently featured in the World of Warcraft movie. 
While far from a good film, I think there's a lot that works in the WoW feature-length movie, including doing a good job of breaking down pre-WoW Warcraft lore, of which the actual World of Warcraft game sometimes considers to be an afterthought, not prevalent to the modern-day sensibilities of Azeroth. Because of that, there are many lore figures that simply don't get the time of day due to having the bad luck of dying just right before Vanilla WoW's story begins. Antonitis is definitely one of those figures, serving as the former leader of Dalaran and the Kirin Tor, and suffering death at the hands of Arthas during the Third War. A common thread. The former mentor of Jaina Proudmoore, Antonitis was literally born into magic, taken in by the Kirin Tor and learning the craft from an incredibly young age. He would go on to join the Council of Six, the famed group of magi that run the Kirin Tor and essentially are the Illuminati of Azeroth, making behind-the-scenes decisions that change the landscape of the planet. However, as with most things on Azeroth, betrayal from within the Council by the mage Kel'Thuzad whatever would have saw that coming, would lead to not only the dissolving of the Council, but the utter destruction of the original Dalaran by Archimonde and the death of Antonitis by Arthas himself. Two lore notes of interest arise with Antonitis. The first is that after the Second War and the defeat of the Orcish invaders, a discussion was held in regards to what should be done about the Orcs now left on Azeroth but held captive. Many votes, including that of Alliance leaders, felt that the entire race should be killed off before they had any chance to recover from a bizarre lethargy that seemed to strike the entire species. Antonitis wanted to look for other answers, though, and through research discovered that the orc lethargy was most likely stemming from withdrawals of the demonic energy that once infused them. While he was chastised for searching for a cure to this ailment, Antonitis was on the record as saying that the orc's only cure would have to be a spiritual one. The second lore note of interest involves Jaina Proudmoore's turn towards destruction after the bombing of Theramore by Horde forces as Jaina strikes out in a turn for revenge. At one point, she breaks into Dalaran to steal a tome written and sealed with protective runes by Antonitis himself, which Jaina intended to use for the purposes of learning magic to enslave elemental beings. However, a vision of her former teacher appeared before Jaina, warning her about the path she was on. It would be this warning that kept Jaina from destroying Orgrimmar, but in another reality portrayed in the World of Warcraft novel War Crimes, a version of Jaina exists that followed through on this promise of destruction, using a literal wave of water elementals to drown not only Orgrimmar, but all of Azeroth, and leaving the only living thing to be the blue dragon Kalagos who goes insane from that event. For now, if you'd like to visit Antonitis, there's a grave and statue erected in his honor in Dalaran, which says, Archmage Antonitis, Grand Magus of the Kirin Tor, the great city of Dalaran stands once again, a testament to the tenacity and will of its greatest son. Your sacrifices will not have been in vain, dearest friend. With love and honor, Jaina Proudmore.
Speaking of things that only exist in pre-WoW lore, the ruins of Alterac are a curious place. This smoking crater sitting next to the former location of Dalaran is basically only known now for being a small questing zone from Vanilla that features a bunch of ogres. To talk about the history of the Kingdom of Alterac, though, we need to go all the way back to the Second War and the Orcish Invasion and the royal family of Alterac that attempted to trade for their safety from the Orc Horde, only to suffer the consequences of turncoats. The royal family called Perenhold. Alterac was one of the original seven great human nations of Lordran, and though Alterac was considered the weakest kingdom in regards to contributions of supplies and soldiers, the kingdom held the distinction of being in league with Dalaran and being a key holding point as the bottleneck to the rest of the Eastern Kingdoms and the Kingdom of Lordran at large. To get to the rest of the landmass, forces would need to proceed through the snowy hills, meaning that Alterac was both well fortified naturally but also the first domino to fall if the kingdoms of man were to ever be attacked. This also meant that Alterac had real big small man energy syndrome, constantly at some bickering war with nearby Stromgard, formerly of the Arathi Highlands, of which Alterac had also split off from, as well as Lordaeron itself on the other side of Lake Minethil, and Gilneas, which had trading routes with Kul'Tiris. King Aiden Parinold had no love for King Thoris Trollbane of Stromgard, another name from the server list, as the two nations not only bordered one another, but they also harbored old resentment from Altrax splitting off from Arathor at the end of the Troll Wars. It was this resentment that would lead Aiden Parinold to make the decision to turn on his human allies when the Orc Horde arrived at the doors of Altarak, and diplomatic actions had failed. Supplying intel to the orcs in exchange for leaving Alterac alone, Parinold did whatever he could to help the orc armies, while of which Alterac was the last to join in. The king even attempted to organize an assassination of Uther Lightbringer by hiring pirate mercenaries at one point, which seems like extreme and also kind of passive-aggressive. Eventually, the king's treachery was found out, and King Trollbane leapt at the chance to lead a contingent into Alterac and take over, instating martial law and burning Alterac to the ground. The Alteraci people would continue to serve orcs, however, which included helping Nerzul steal the Book of Medivh from Stormwind. After the Second War, talks took place to rebuild Alterac, with a Lord Prestor becoming the frontrunner for becoming the new king. However, you might remember that Prestor is the human identity of Deathwing, and our favorite giant flaming armored dragon was a bit busy with being defeated at Grim Batal, as Lord Prestor mysteriously vanishes and all talks cease of rebuilding the kingdom of Alterac. From this point, the Alteraki people not captured or killed formed the Syndicate, a rogues gallery of humans led by the former King Parinold's son, Elodin. And you might also remember them because the Syndicate was kind of a minor group of enemies that you could fight in Vanilla WoW that was somewhat similar to the thieves and knaves found over in Westfall. Yet, it still remains a giant pile of rubble and reminder that turncoats eventually get theirs, no matter how high of a hill your city may be upon.
At this point, it's safe to say that most people who play World of Warcraft know the Proudmoore name. In addition to being a server name, it's also the last name of one of its best-known female characters in Lady Jaina Proudmoore, and also was the focus of the Alliance campaign in Kul Tiras in Battle for Azeroth. However, if you've been a Horde player or aren't a giant lore nerd, like this guy, it's easy to ignore the scope and scale of the Proudmoore lineage and just how much they've had their hands in with regards to the goings-on on Azeroth and the history of Warcraft and the formation of the Alliance and the Horde, both before WoW, during, and even to the current day. Much like talking about the Paranolds of Ultrak, we can't really talk about the Proudmoore family without first discussing their native lands of Kul Tiras, and why, for the longest time, Kaltiris was somewhat of a mystery in World of Warcraft. Many of you youngins might not remember, but for the longest time, down in Silver Pine Forest, the entrance to Gilneas was simply a boarded-up wall with some errant Kaltiran symbols all around it. And that remained that way for a while. Much like Altarat, Kaltiris was one of the seven human nations that joined together to combat the Orcish Horde. But where Altarak's involvement was tenuous at best, Kaltiris was all in on the League of Humanity, which is funny given that Kaltiris arose because of the splitting of Erethor shortly after the Troll Wars. Eventually, Kaltiris would almost completely take over the seas, edging out the mercantile powers of the world, including neighboring Gildaeus. Kaltiris was also situated in an interesting part of the Azeroth map, given that they were somewhere in between both of the major continents, and thus suited for trade and naval strong-arming no matter who they were dealing with. And this positioning is what made the Proudmoore family and Kaltiris best suited to lead the human navy in the Second War, with Dalen Proudmoore becoming Lord Admiral of the Alliance fleet and doing battle against a reluctant red dragonflight that was being kept under lock and key by the Dragonmaw Orcs, as they had gotten control of the Demon Soul and were forcing Alexstrasza and the Red Flight into their bidding. This also ties into Lord Prestor's vanishing later on, as Grim Batal was the site of the Red Flight's subjugation. And while the Pradmore Admiralty was fierce and strong, it would suffer losses, including the son of Dalen, Derek at the hands of the Dragon Maul. The story comes back around in Battle for Azeroth as Derek Proudmoore's corpse is brought up from the ocean floor by Sylvanas and the Horde as a tactic to strike at Jaina, returning the Proudmoore prodigal back to life as a Forsaken. The Kul'Tearn navy would not fare so well in the Third War, though, being stymied at every turn by Thrall's a new horde, as well as suffering loss after loss to the newly risen Naga and their Murloc forces. It's around this time that Jaina comes into the story, sent on a journey by a mysterious prophet, who ends up being Medivh, to cross the sea to Kalimdor, in an attempt to unite forces with this new horde and stop the Burning Legion from their attempted invasion at Mount Hyjal, aka Warcraft III. This tenuous alliance is what led to the founding of Durotar and Orgrimmar, as well as Jaina founding the city of Theramore with the Kul that had went along with her on the journey. Now while this is going on, her father Dalen reaches Kalimdor in search of the human expedition that escaped the Scourge Plague and headed west, which also dovetails with the creation of Theramore. 
However, in the process and unknown to the Admiral, the Orc Horde now held a foothold in Kalimdor with the newly created Horde and saw it as an opportunity to renew an old fight, attacking Orgrimmar and destroying the Echo Islands. This is actually why the trolls originally didn't have a starting zone and just started in random parts of Duratar because the Echo Islands had been wiped off and then taken over by zombie trolls. At this point, Thrall and Rexar attempt to reach out to Jaina and Theramore for assistance against the threat, of which Jaina knew nothing about, and demanded proof of the involvement of the Kul'tirans. It wasn't until Jaina saw the Kul'tiran colors attacking innocent orc settlements that she jumped into action, but it was perhaps too late as her father had shown up at Theramore and accused Jaina of treason against the Alliance and took over Theramore by force. This leads to yet another long and bloody battle, which ends with Dalen Proudmoore being killed in Theramore by Horde forces. The relationship strained, Thrall and the Horde returned to Orgrimmar, and Jaina attempted to mend fences with the Alliance, all while her former countrymen in Kul'tiris were now calling for blood after finding out their Lord Admiral died somewhat because of his own daughter. At this point, Kul'tiris backs out of the Alliance and brands Jaina a traitor, which is the status of everything up to the start of Vanilla WoW and why Kul'tiris is neither seen nor heard from. And until BFA, that's basically where Kul'tiris stays, firmly in the camp of players asking when the other shoe was going to drop. For a while, it was assumed that Gilneas' return and the Worgen coming meant that there would be a horde race of the Worgen while the Alliance players would get Kul'tiris. And eventually, it would somewhat shake out that way in Battle for Azeroth when the prodigal daughter returns to the Proudmoore homestead and wins back the favor of family and country, in the process seeing Jaina gain her father's former title of Lord Admiral. Of course, the Jaina of then isn't the Jaina we knew through WoW, as she goes through her own journey, including some time spent as a Horde adversary and bawling over that maybe her father was right about the orcs all along. However, and luckily, that time has passed. I don't know if this is a hot take, but I've actually always hated Horde versus Alliance, and I think the game's at its best when both sides are working towards common goals, which is why I personally disliked a large portion of BFA. However, I did enjoy that for the first time ever, the Horde and Alliance got different versions of Raid, with some really cool storytelling, including Our Lady Jaina becoming a terrific and kind of difficult and terrifying Raid boss. So what's next for the Proudmoore clan? It's hard to tell, as for the first time in a while, everything seems pretty quiet on Azeroth. Jaina's storylines are all wrapped up nicely in a bow, and it's entirely possible that in three years, that have passed between Shadowlands and Dragonflight that she goes back home and takes a stab at being a leader of her people and earning back their trust. Meanwhile, Derek Proudmore is somewhat ensconced in the Forsaken and seems to be forming a relationship with Kalia Menethil. How does Jaina feel about her zombie brother hooking up with her ex's zombie sister? Only time will tell. Perhaps that's another story down the line. Thank you for joining us once again on Essence of Azeroth. I continue to be astounded by all of you listening and supporting the podcast as it means the world to me. And we're hitting some really great and interesting numbers. Um, by the time this is out, we may very well be at 8,000 total lifetime downloads. 
and uh, over 300 people have been subscribing on Spotify alone. It's... I could not have imagined it yet. <laughs> so, if you would, please remember to rate and follow us on Spotify, or give us a review on Apple Podcasts, and consider joining us on Patreon so that you can join our Discord, our server, and maybe even get a cool piece of EOA merch at some point. You can also leave me a message over on our Anchor.fm page that I will read and answer on the air. And if you couldn't tell from the opening of this episode, I have a soft spot for kids' shows from the 90s, and current kids' shows, as we are currently hearing a lo-fi version of the Bluey theme. So I'll leave you with a song I loved as a kid from Bear in the Big Blue House. We'll see you next time. Do you have time to sing a goodbye song before you go? Always bear. Hey, this was really fun. We hope you liked it too. Seems like we've just begun when suddenly we're through. Goodbye, goodbye, good friends, goodbye. Cause now it's time to go. But hey, I say, well that's okay. Cause we'll see you very soon, I know. Very soon I know Goodbye, goodbye, good friends, goodbye And tomorrow just like today The moon, the bear, and the big blue house We'll be waiting for you to come and play To come and play To come and play Bye now I'm <laughs> sorry.